past 7 o'clock, and here we go. Time for Iron Sports, 95.9 True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Another great show on tap for you today. Ira, first and foremost, welcome in. We've got just... Uh, what two more Monday nights? Well, this you know this week and next Monday night, so we we'll have Monday night football to start getting excited about before our show. Yeah, we have sixteen weeks of Monday night football because now remember there's an extra week of yeah. NFL, so uh, get ready for a lot of football the next four months or really six months of football. Um, so no events for you this week. Not that there was that much you could have done, but I think you're packing up and getting ready to head back to New York. Yeah, I'm going to go to the U.S. Open. I'm very excited for that. You, you know, last year no fans were there. I've always loved the tournament. You know, you map it out during the day. I'll be going to different matches. I know all the players. So it's great to go to the, the matches. There might be, you know, like on the outside courts when there's only like stands for like two, 300 people. And then maybe at night I'll see Djokovic maybe tomorrow night. But uh, it's going to be nice tomorrow. But then Wednesday, Thursday, rain. Now two of the courts are covered. And then Friday the weather should be good. So I'll be just up in New York on Tuesday through Friday. Then watch football Saturday and Sunday. College football, what a weekend for for, I mean, college football is starting. It's coming up strong right now, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, speaking of uh, college football, we're going to have the uh, head coach of Coastal Carolina, Jamie Chadwell, join us at about 740, and this is going to be great, I. Uh, well, we're, he's just the coach of the year, defending coach of the year yeah. in terms of the team was finished number 14, Coastal Carolina, last year. This year, they're ranked uh, anywhere from 18 to 20. Uh, from the Sun, Sun Belt Conference, which is amazing. Their quarterback, Grayson McCall, is now a sophomore. Some people think he could be the quarterback of the year, uh, potentially. I mean, everything is for this team. Uh, Caldwell, Chadwell is one of considered, he's 42 years old, one of the best coaches. I mean, he's someone who, if he continues to this run, could be Alabama's radar, Clemson radar. I mean, this is where we're talking about in terms of what he did last year with this program. They've been playing Division One football for three years, and he comes in and is able to build this program from scratch and really put this together. Preseason, so. they were ranked last in the Sun Belt, correct? Right. Yeah, right. so he's, it's he's pretty a, impressive to go 11 He's a great recruiter. He's a great in-game coach. His pa- he has so much passion and energy and excitement, and he didn't go the route. He wasn't, we're going to talk about in the interview, where, where he didn't go the route of being like the 20th assistant in Alabama and then the 19th assistant at Georgia or something. I mean, he's went to Division Two, coached Division Two, coached in, at, in, the, in, the, in the Big South Conference, and then was able to come to this. And then, you know, <laughs> fantasy football is almost as fun as watching football for me. You know, to me now, they're synonymous, and it's why I love the Red Zone channel. There are people like me and you who are very serious about fantasy, and then there's people that make it a career, and that's Mr. Roto. He's going to join us at 720. Dr. Roto. Dr. Roto. Sorry. Dr. Roto. Yeah, he's the best. I mean, I've heard him on radio so many times. I think it's, I'm just honored to have him on because he's the one person I really, I think, says all the smart things. I like how he puts it, just the term, and, and it just he's funny, and I can't wait to have him on the show. I think he's great. I love him, and he is the, well, I would say, top four or five experts in the country in fantasy football and uh, one of the most knowledgeable per- people you ever would ever talk to about the NFL. Probably yeah. more knowledgeable than general managers and everything. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, you know, some of the stuff that, that he's uh, he's ready to reveal uh, at 720, you need to be here at Ira on Sports. Ira, you were very excited yesterday. And you think we might have arguably seen the greatest playoff ever, at least the greatest playoff of the last decade, talking about the uh, PGA BMW Championship. Well, I was texting you so much. I was try- I think you were driving. I was trying to, to have you like stop yeah, off the road and like, just go and run into something because it was 
it was I, I came, it was starting I picked it up live in about the eighth or ninth hole. And I said, this should be a good final round. And then it was one of those things where it just went on and on. And to see two top 10 golfers, this isn't like two golfers that we haven't heard about. And we know these golfers. But to see the fireworks between both of them in terms of the putts that Cantlay made and the shots that Bryson made and the shots that Cantlay made. And and it didn't just finish on the 18th hole. It goes to six playoff holes between these two. I don't remember anything, you know, short of Tiger being in a playoff, Tiger being in anything. Tiger's whatever. It's more exciting. It's one of the most exciting tournaments I've ever seen. It, it, It absolutely was. I'm glad I got to see the recaps and the end of it. I saw someone compare it, like, be, with them being like kind of polar opposite golfers, you've got the the guy who wants to hit it twenty miles, and you got the guy who wants to be the short game expert and be arguably the best putter on the tour. And it really made for interesting golf seeing them go back and forth like that. Bryson's got off to a really good start in this, though. He had a chance to shoot a fifty nine on Friday at fifty nine, and someone was I was hearing that, and I I pulled off the side of the road on my phone, <laughs> and I looked, and he was had a six foot putt on eighteen. There's only been eleven golfers to ever shoot a fifty nine. And Bryson missed an easy six-foot putt. I mean, just by, by a mile. It wasn't even close. Mm. I mean, clearly choked on that hole on 18. So he got a 60. Uh, but that was, you know, set him up for, for Sunday uh, to have, uh, you know, to have between Bryson and Cantlay in terms of the shootout. And they started out so fast on Sunday. Bryson birdies three of his first six holes. Cantlay birdied four of his five. And really, like, Sun J.M., Rory. I mean, this could have been even a more exciting. There was a lot of guys. Because you yeah. had Brooks. You had Rory. You had Dustin Johnson shooting well. Like, all these other names but the fact that Cantlay and and Bryson just took this to another level and then they just kept matching each other as birdie for birdie that's what made it so great so tell us uh, walk us through Sunday because like I said it was it was just a day to remember for golf yeah I picked it up on 11 uh, par 4 Bryson took out his driver on a par four, it was like 15 feet from the hole. I mean, it was <laughs> unbelievable. Like, it almost went in, like, on the drive. And then Candela used an irony, chips, chips, and chips, but they ended up both birding it. So one person, you know, Bryson there, that you saw what happens. Bryson has these huge drives, somehow misses up the short game, and he still he birdies, but so does Candela. And then on the, uh, and then they also, then they birdie again. So they birdie 11, they birdie 12. And then on 14 is another par four. And this is where it got really exciting because, so before that, I think a hole or two before, one of the marshals told them, you got to hurry it up. You're the slow play, which Bryson is the slowest player in the history. Crazy. It's just beyond belief slow play. So everybody times he's with. So Cantlay was like walking, going to the next thing. Well, Bryson screams, Patrick, don't walk in front of me. Slow down. He said comments like that. Patrick just stopped. Cantlay stopped then just glares at Bryson. And now the announcers made a comment like, I've never heard people say, you don't really talk to golfers like mm-hmm. that. That's how the way. Now, I can't lay after the fact that it wasn't that big a deal. But clearly, if you looked at it, he was glaring at Bryson. Yeah. He's mad at Bryson. So first of all, he's upset because he's like, he's told to hurry up by the marshals. And here's Bryson yelling at him when he's totally off the, in another level. Like you see the golfers do this all the time. I'm walking up with these golfers. They're always walking through. They're always on the other side. He wasn't walking during the shot either. He was going to stop. Bryson just, because Bryson approaches the ball, then he walks around again, looks around, checks his phone, checks whatever. Book, yeah. Who knows? I mean, it's like, it's a whole thing. So for him to yell at Cantlay, you know, here's Cantlay, one of the, you wonder if that was like Phil Mickelson, what Phil Mickelson would have done. It wouldn't like, have been good. Or Tiger. Like, I don't, mm-hmm. like, well, Bryson and Tiger get along with his eyes a bit. How in the world could you just tell a golfer, like, stop walking when Cantlay was clearly not doing it? But uh, that, so it ended up that upset, you know, up, upset Bryson and uh, that, and, and it fired Cantlay because Cantlay then sank a 20-foot putt to tie Bryson <laughs> at 27 under. 
15, they both par. And then on the 16, which is par five, Bryson Sanks a 15 foot birdie. But Cantley had a horrendous tee shot. He was just lucky to make a par. So he's one stroke behind. And then on 17, you thought this was over on 17. Cantley hits the ball in the water, but he makes a 10 footer for bogey. But Bryson, he, he had a chance. He had a chance to go take a two stroke lead at going to the 18, but he ends up bogeying 17. And then on 18, the, this is where it was like Bryson Cantley made a, uh, a 20 footer for birdie. But all Bryce had to do was hit a 10-footer for a birdie, and he missed it. So he missed that. Then they go to the first playoff hole, and Candelay was in the rough. Bryson was right in the center. Bryson misses the easy puss. Candelay, you know, chips in and makes this long putt. Then they go to the second playoff hole. They play 18 again. Candelay was way outside. He, 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 he pars the hole. Bryson has a six-foot putt for a birdie, and he misses it again. Yeah. So again, like Bryson, this is now his third straight hole he misses. On the third playoff hole, Bryson misses again on the par 17. And uh, so that means he missed at 17, 18, 18, and 17. Five putts, Bryson had a chance to win, and he wouldn't win. On the fourth playoff hole, Bryson actually hit in the water. That's <laughs> the first time. His second shot, he hit within like an inch of the of the cup, which is perfect. And Canelay, he actually, he, that's the only putt he missed. He missed the birdie putt, and uh, they ended up going then to the next to the next playoff hole, which is the fifth hole in 17. So on 17, they go in 17, and Bryson hit it within, like, I don't know, four feet of the hole. Mm-hmm. Canley comes up there, you're like, no shot, whatever, hits it like two feet of the hole. So they both birdie that. They both birdie that. Finally, on the sixth playoff hole, Canley makes a 20-foot putt for, for, uh, for birdie, and Bryson misses it, hit an eight-foot putt, yeah. and Canley wins. He missed it by a large margin. Too. Yes. It was another b- big mistake on his part and goes to show you the difference in short game between the two of them. So here, here's a stat, Ira, from, from the weekend. Patrick Cantley was 41 for 41 inside five feet, 10 of 12 from 10 to 15 feet, and his shots gained in putting was 14.58, the highest ever since they've been tracking it. That's how you win golf tournaments. <laughs> no, and it's, it's interesting because he's 29 years old. He's fourth in the world. He's five wins on the PGA Tour, three, three this year. The Memorial, he won in sudden death over Colin Marikawa. And he was a top amateur in the world for 55 weeks. Went to UCLA from North Palm Beach. I mean, he was mm-hmm. from L.A., but now he lives, lives in North, in North Palm, Palm Beach. Yeah. And, uh, but in 16 majors, only two top tens. So you're thinking maybe that's why we don't see Patrick Cantlay. When you mentioned Patrick Cantlay, it's like, I don't know, but how's he a top 10 golfer? Because he hasn't really done anything in the majors. Maybe a tournament like this on the biggest, on the stage like this was somehow would propel him in terms of uh, uh, motivating him sort of, you know, giving the confidence in the majors because the putting was just amazing. So we've, I I brought it up on the show before. I feel like him and Xander Schauffele were the two great golfers that nobody talked about, but it's because they hadn't really done anything like you, like you just said. And now, you know, they're both taking massive steps forward this year and really root for both of them. So a lot of people on social media, Ira, want to see Patrick Cantlay teamed up with Bryson in the Ryder Cup. The way they kind of propelled each other in that playoff, they think that they'd be a good pair. You're not a well, fan. <laughs> I don't know how you put Bryce. I mean, I think you have to figure out who gets he gets along with and, and how that's going to work in, in terms of whatever. But it's, if we can talk next week. I can't wait to talk about the Ryder Cup. And, and again, next week is the Tour Championships. And then the Ryder. There's only two more weeks of, of golf, really, mm-hmm. big-time golf, for the, for the next, like, four months. So we have the Tour Championships coming up. And that's going to be in the field that you have now. Now there's going to be it's, – it's reset. So Candelay's a 10-under. Finau is at 8-under. Bryson is at 7-under. This is to start the tournament. So you're starting because they want to give an advantage. Rom 6, Justin Thomas 4, Spieth 4, Colin McCarroll 3, Dustin Johnson 3, and Rory 2. So Rory starts 8 strokes behind Canlay. So that makes it, it difficult. 
And it was interesting in this tournament. The one other subplot is that everybody's trying to get into the top 30. So there was points where Eric Von Royen was 45, and he made his last shot and was able to get to 27. Uh, Alex Noren missed an easy punt on 18. He fell from 33 to 43. And K.J. Lee on 18 hits his ball into the penalty area. And they, they supposedly said it cost him like three, dollars $400,000, that one shot, yeah. because he had some bonus points that had to go with some things, and, and, he, was, and, he, and he fell out. And Sergio Garcia was 44th going in, but actually jumped into 28 and was able to make the, uh, make the tour championships. But uh, that, was what, that was the subplot. So as much as you were watching who the leaders were, you were also seeing who else was going to get into the tournament. It's 7-12, Iron Sports. This is the True Oldies channel. Dr. Roto is going to win your fantasy draft for you in just about eight minutes or so. But let's talk NFL. And one of the – Dr. Roto is going to talk about Mac Jones um, because this is intriguing to me. Bill Belichick, as you would totally expect, not saying a single word about who's going to be under center week one. I think we can assume it's Cam Newton, but Bill's going to put the best player in. Whoever is playing better right then, Bill Belichick's going to start. And this is a really intriguing matchup for me. Between Cam and between Mac Cam Jones. and Mac, who's going to win the job? Well, it's, there's only two jobs they still haven't been decided. Everything else has been decided except for for uh, the San Francisco and uh, and the Patriots. And I think the point is that their numbers are very similar. Very and similar. Very similar. Cam looks of, good, too. And Cam looks good in it. And I, I, that's why I think they just go with Cam. It's easier to go with yeah. Cam first and then have Black, Mac Jones learn. Just the idea about getting on the buses, getting ready. Everything is different. I have no idea why you would run a, rush a quarterback in. I, I think the smart move is to put Cam Newton in. And also, Cam Newton is more popular with the players. I just, not that Mac Jones isn't popular. Everyone likes his work ethic. But in this situation, I just think you got, I, you just give it to Cam Newton. And, and I, he did nothing to, look, he's looking much better. He's yeah. thinner. He's moving around better than he did last year he's more used to the system so i really think that's going to be cam Newton. yeah it was a covid year last year no training camp bill belichick's system cannot be simple to learn so you know being behind the eight ball there one of my bigger takeaways from that game was that the uh the giants are, are might be in for a really long season that offensive line just looks terrible right <laughs> i don't know if, if any other way to put it i think they got a real defense but that's not looking good um you mentioned the other quarterback uh, controversy or, or challenge is going to be Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo. And I, I have to think they're going to roll out Garoppolo out week one. Well, it's weird how they used him against the Raiders, though. What I'm starting to think is they're going to both play. This could be one where we're finally going to see quarterbacks like a Taysom Hill and Drew Brees last year, but even more so in terms of Trey Lance's ability to run the ball at the goal line. He's just in, in pass. I think that I think you might see something where Garoppolo is going to play in the middle. Is it just play like one series and whatever? They're actually in the middle of the drive going to be switching around. Now, the one thing someone said they haven't seen that Lamar Jackson did that uh, with with Flacco. Uh, Joe, Joe Flacco, yeah. and they would send Flacco. Now Flacco didn't like that; he hated that mm-hmm. all. But I don't, I, I don't think Jimmy G has any way to complain about how they're going to use it, it, it in this situation, <laughs> right? Yeah. So the point is, I think that I think you might see that's the one team that actually might use the two quarterbacks in, in the two system like that. Well, especially with Shanahan being, you know, the offensive guru that they claim. Of course, he's going to work some stuff up like this, M- much like we see all the time with Sean Payton and the Saints. They're deciding in Jameis Winston, but I'm not going to be shocked if we see a ton of Taysom Hill. Well, I think it's the same thing. If we saw Taysom Hill last year with Drew Brees, you're going to see him with Jameis Winston uh, and going through. I'm nervous. I'm telling you, from the Saints' perspective, though, I'm not sold on them. I think you're going to see a big drop-off this year. I just not consider the whole Michael Thomas situation a wide receiver. Uh, I just, I'm nervous about this. And, and I think that, but I think you're definitely going to see, you know, they said Jameis Winston's going to be the quarterback, but you're definitely going to see Taysom Hill a lot. I was a little bit surprised to see the Broncos choose uh, Teddy Bridgewater over Drew Locke. Right. Uh, 
I just again, as we talked about the over under for the Broncos, I don't, I don't see, I don't it. see I don't, it. The Broncos <laughs> were terrible last year. I, I, they have a nice defense. Besides that, their offense to me, I, I, I think people, I, look, I might be wrong, but I just don't feel, I don't feel it from it. And whether it's Bridgewater or Locke, I think it's an indictment of Locke. I mean, Locke is their quarterback who they thought was going to be the superstar quarterback, and for him not to be able to start this year, I think puts, you know, definitely in terms of where they think he is. At this point, not ready to do it. So the Bears are going to start with Andy Dalton, and this to me is not right. I, I would throw Justin Fields in there and see what you got. Give give him seventeen games to, to play and, and have a better assessment on him. Then you know what Andy Dalton's going to give you. Well, I still think I think Andy Dalton played well. I think he's, they said he's practicing great, and I think from the Bears' perspective is that they open. I think what with the Rams, they open with a good defense. And I think they want to start somebody who's experienced at the beginning of the season. I, again, all the time I'd like to at the beginning of the year would rather start someone more experienced than with a rookie. Have the rookie get used to it, the whole idea about the game and the speed of the game and everything. And Justin Fields made a comment that he goes, "Oh, I'm surprised that it's slower out there than I thought it would be." And I didn't think it was that he was saying because our Bears' defense is so good. The other day, I don't know what. Team is comparing it to yeah. but the point is i really think that they have to see it's i think it's better just to have the garoppolo's the cam newtons and the anti dalton start rather than the rookies did you do any fantasy drafts yet not yet but i'm so nervous good i mean but this is why you don't do fantasy drafts until after all these games are over and tech, you know really you should do it the day before the season starts because jk dobbins gonna miss the season everyone was so high on jk dobbins from ohio state Last year, people thought he should have played more for the Ravens, and they were really going to count on he him. He averaged and six yards of carry. He averaged six yards of carry. He looked like a superstar. And and for some reason, some teams do not get the Rams play nobody at all. Like there's just like we don't <laughs> even think about the the playoffs. But uh, I guess John Harbaugh has now won 19 straight playoff games. Yeah. Play, playoff preseason, games, preseason games. <laughs> and he won 19 straight playoff games. He'd be in the Hall of Fame, whatever his own <laughs> wing to the Hall of Fame. But he's won nine nine straight, 19 straight preseason games, and it's just. One of the things is, what is he doing? What is J.K. Dobbins doing in this game? And you're always nervous. Can he get through preseason without any injuries? And now they had an injury. He's towards ACL. He's out for the year. And if you had him, if you already drafted him, that's that's the problem. So this was just bizarre to me. And listen, I'm the first person to admit I got caught up in Minshew Mania last year. I really like the kid. I think he could be a starter somewhere. He's definitely a capable backup. They traded him from Jacksonville to the Eagles. The Eagles already have three at least backup-level quarterbacks on the team, Jalen Hurts, Joe Flacco, and Nick Mullins, and they bring in a fourth quarterback. Now Gardner Minshew's even further down on the depth chart than he was. I just feel bad for him. The trade doesn't make sense to me. The, the only reason why the Eagles trade, I heard that on Saturday, the only reason this would make sense is if, because Flacco's played well in the preseason. Maybe they want, and he's guaranteed $3 million. Maybe they're going to trade Flacco or trade, there was a trade, or maybe there was a trade they were supposed to make and didn't happen. Like a lot of times you acquire somebody and then you're waiting for the second trade, but that <laughs> other trade falls through. But it does look like it was made for some other purpose. And then you hear the thing about Deshaun Watson. You're thinking, wait, are they going to trade? Is it a trade for Deshaun Watson? Is there something like that? So I'm not... I don't know, but I it, again I feel I like I like Minshew a lot. I think he's really good, and I think he's going to start. I think he's going to win some games in the NFL. I just it, it, when you have Trey, uh, Trevor Lawrence, you don't need Gabriel Minshew. I think I'd rather have Minshew than Jared Goff. Like guys like that, like Minshew just brings this level of heart to the game <laughs> that you don't find everywhere. And I feel really bad for this guy. I hope he gets another shot to start somewhere. Trevor Lawrence looking like a number one overall pick. But last week, and this is we're going to talk about this with Doctor Roto. Is that I bring it up? This whole thing with Jacksonville in terms of Urban Meyer, I've never seen so much national criticism of a coach 
ever. I mean, I, the, Urban Meyer, he's, he's mean. The players don't like him. This, I mean, he's won everywhere he's coached. He's, and, and he doesn't have this weird offense like Steve Spurrier. And he seems to know offensively. Like, if you, if you follow Urban Meyer's career, it's like quarterbacks and wide receivers. He is an innovative offensive mind. Yeah. And so if your whole idea is you're going to play, they're going to be explosive. And the Trevor Lawrence is an explosive quarterback. And, and I, I don't understand why he got criticized. The first couple you know, games of the preseason, they're like, oh, well, he's getting hit. He's, th- they'll figure it out. He's great. Or Meyer's smart. They're gonna, I love Jacksonville. Like, I think they're going to do great. And not great. But I, I Trevor, seven, eight games. Yeah, Trevor, they're they're not going to be this. He's not a bust. Urban Meyer's not a terrible coach, and they're going to have a, they're going to make. They've some got great skill stuff. players too, and we're actually going to talk about some of the skill players uh, in just a minute with Doctor Roto. But before that, Bills and Packers. I'm thinking Jordan Love's not the answer for Aaron Rodgers. Jordan Love had a bad game, but also Josh Allen. I mean, I watched the beginning. Of I that love game. Josh Allen. Oh, it was twenty for twenty six. They ran like twenty eight plays. He threw twenty six passes, uh, two hundred yards, and two touchdowns, and he called it a day. And Josh Allen's a quarterback who. It reminds me of almost a Pascal Siakam of basketball in terms of like he or Jan, Luka Giannis almost. I mean, someone who who is just is gets better, and you're like last year was where he stepped up. Maybe he has even another level. Like maybe there's another like. So you sometimes think that players would plateau, but remember he's very young and he went to Wyoming and he comes in and and this could be another lot of people really really like Josh Allen this year and maybe Josh Allen steps up to that next level where he's going to be that super duper duper star. He's already a superstar. Maybe at the highest level, win the MVP, take Buffalo to the Super Bowl, and the Steelers have to play Buffalo. It's Iron Sports True Oldies Channel. Time to bring in Doctor Roto. You can find him at drroto.com. Hear him on Sirius XM. So Doctor Roto. It's everyone's favorite time of the year as we get closer and closer to football starting and, of course, fantasy football season. So my first thing I want to ask you is I've been doing this about 20 years and 15, 20 years ago, it was a solid, you know, format for the first round. Get your running backs. Then it kind of shifted away. Even a few years ago, we were going no running backs. You know, some people's strategy. I feel like now I want to know what your take on later in the first round is. We know what we're going to see maybe the first four or five picks. But I feel like there's a, a really a, a lot of wide receivers out there, and there's also some decent middle-range running back uh, depth. And I'm seeing Travis Kelsey and guys like that go as high as, like, sixth overall. What's your thoughts on the end of the first round and how you should be playing like that? Yeah, it's a great question. So I think that the beauty of fantasy football is that you can win at any pick and you can win with virtually any strategy. So. I, I never take a tight end in the first round. As good as Travis Kelsey is, he's just not a guy that I look for. Uh, I usually take my tight end later. Uh, I think you can win with a wide receiver. Could you win with Devontae Adams or, or Tyreek Hill in the first round? Absolutely. But I think people like the safety of getting a running back, and I happen to like picking toward the end of the first round because I think there are guys who I really like this year. I like Austin Eckler. I like Nick Chubb. I like Antonio Gibson. I like Najee Harris. So if I'm picking towards the end of the first round, I feel really confident that I can get two of these guys to build as my foundation on my roster and then start taking wide receivers, which will help me win a league. I've always been kind of the same way. I feel like if you don't get like the top three, get one of those elite guys, pick a 12th, you know, be the last one and get two solid guys. Um, What's your thoughts on these rookie quarterbacks? Especially for people in two quarterback leagues. These guys are going to be going. Who do you think is going to end up having the most prolific um, season after Trevor Lawrence, who's obviously going to be starting week one? Well, it's funny. If you listen to me on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio, Saturday and Sunday from nine from 7 to 9 a.m. Eastern, I said that uh, Trey Lance is going to win somebody a fantasy football league this year. Look at his playoff schedule, right? He has Cincinnati, then he has Atlanta, then he has Tennessee, then he has Houston. 
I mean, it doesn't get much easier than that. So you may not like Trey Lance today, but all of a sudden by week 14, you're going to love him. I feel the same about Justin Fields. I mean, this is a guy with a ton of talent, and you can't tell me that Andy Dalton is going to be the quarterback in week 10. So I think what happens is with rookies, people like safety. They like to know the guys and what they can expect. But I think you're looking at Trevor Lawrence. I think you're looking at Fields. I think you're looking at Lance. And don't laugh, I think you're looking at Zach Wilson and even Mac Jones, five rookies who can make a real impact on the fantasy landscape this year. And I wouldn't be afraid to take any of them, including Mac Jones. Do you think we got a little spoiled last year with Justin Herbert um, coming out like gangbusters and Joe Burrow being as good as he was while he was healthy? I feel like the normal is a Tua Tagovailoa uh, rookie season, not what we saw last year. Yeah, I mean, and look, I feel badly about Tua. I think he was put in a tough spot. Fitzpatrick is playing well. They pull him. They bring in Tua, who is not fully healthy. I don't care what he says. And I don't think he was running that offense. I think he'll be a lot better this year. But, but you're absolutely right. You know, not every rookie is a star. But I think this year, mobile quarterbacks create fantasy goodness, right? Because they get your points for running. They get your points for throwing. And that's, that's really double the point. So, I mean, Justin Fields is like another running back. So I, I think you can win uh, with, with, with a young quarterback. But people just have to be willing to assume the risk. We're speaking with Dr. Roto. You can hear him on SiriusXM. Visit drroto.com to, to get the, the top flight fantasy information. So speaking of someone that, I feel like a lot of people don't even know who this person is, but you speak highly of him on your show, LaVisca Chenault. And and I'm high on this guy, too, this year. Would you like to talk about him? Yeah, I'm a big fan. So, look, Travis Etienne was drafted by the Jaguars to give them some speed, right? And he was a very good receiver. So Urban Meyer was going to use him out of the backfield. Well, when you don't have him anymore, you've got to find those underneath passing routes. Well, that's where Chenault thrives. And Urban had talked about wanting to draft Kadarius Tony from UF, right? Yes. But he didn't get him because the Giants took him instead. So Chenault really is the same version of Tony, and I think he's going to get six or seven receptions per game, and he's going to be like Trevor Lawrence's security blanket this year. So, you know, it's not, you're not taking a risk by drafting LaVisca. So it's funny that you bring up uh, Kadarius Tony because I wanted to bring him up next and, and actually reference the Giants taking him. I'm a Giants fan. I should I should preface that. But uh, the reports out of camp are not very good for him. But we kind of saw the same thing from Odell Beckham when he was a rookie. So what's your thoughts on how they're going to use Tony? Is he someone you should be trying to get in later rounds? Yeah, no, I think I'm going to do about 20 leagues this year, and I'll probably have Kadaris Tony in one. And the truth of the matter is the Giants offensive line is terrible. I don't have any trust in Daniel Jones. If they use Tony as a gadget player, it might work. But do you trust Jason Garrett is going to learn how to use him correctly? I don't. So I think that there's, if he was on the right team and the right system, I think there would be some fantasy potential. But I need to see it first with the Giants. You've got Kenny Galladay, who you paid a whole lot of money to. You've got to give him the football. You've got Saquon Barkley coming back. You've got to give him the football. Is there enough footballs for Kadarius Tony? I don't think so. Ira, what do you got? Well, this is a general question because I, I love following football. I, I do the betting and I go to the games. I love everything. But there's also – I love fantasy. I'm in all the fantasy leagues. And I think there's this – some you're a guru and, and there's some criticism like, well, that's just a guru. That's fantasy. It's not real. But then when you listen to like traditional – like the pregame for a show – they're talking about Tim Tebow. They're talking about what mustache Gardner Minshew has. It seems like the overall <laughs> reporting is you're not I'm not getting information that if you just if you didn't even care about fantasy, you should probably listen to fantasy people as opposed to just the normal traditional people talking about football. 
Oh, I, I couldn't. You know, we're not sitting in our mom's basements looking at, at fantasy rosters. <laughs> you know, I understand more about football than ninety nine point nine percent of guys that you'll see on TV. Why? Because I have to know the statistics. So I know the wide receiver cornerback matchups, right? I know which teams don't do well against the tight end. I play in IDP leagues, which are individual defensive players, right? So I know how the defensive players do against certain systems. So fantasy players, especially the really good ones, we know football better than all those guys you see on TV. Those guys on TV, I mean, look, Tim Tebow's a great guy, and it's a great story, but he's not helping you in your fantasy league. <laughs> and then you made a comment on your SiriusXM show, as I love what you said. you got to look you got to look forward, not backward. And it seems like everybody always looks backward and they do a draft and you, you raised the example of Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb. It's like you look at statistics rather but rather than someone who's going to be better in the future. Otherwise, there would be no fantasy. If we just used last year's statistics, why even play this year? Yeah, I mean, so I, I mentioned on my show, my son was having his draft and I told him about Jerry Judy and he clicks Jerry Judy. He goes, he wasn't that good last year. <laughs> and I said to him, I said, look, let's look toward this year. Judy is going to be one of the top you know, 30 receivers in the game. And I think if that's one thing that anybody out there who's listening, if you look at last year's statistics, you probably come in sixth or seventh in your league. I don't want you to do that. I want you to go to drroto.com, enter the promo code radio, we'll get you a discount, and you'll come in first in your league. <laughs> and then you mentioned, well, that's the, that's the next question, is you say play to win, don't play to not to lose. We, we are emailing each other about the tennis analogies, but that was the point is that so many people, I think, do. They, they, look, they play to just look okay, right, rather than not play to win. Right. I mean, look, taking Trey Lance is risky. And I think a lot of people will be very uncomfortable with that. And I'm not saying take Trey Lance as your starting quarterback, but maybe you want to take him as your backup because he's a guy that could help you win. And look, you know, as Ricky Bobby said, if you're not first, you're last. Do you remember who came in third in your fantasy football league last year? Nope. I don't either. I only remember the guy who won. So play to win. And, you, and look, if you do that, there's a really good chance you'll win if you're getting the right information. And then you mentioned something, you, and you, this J.K. Dobbins that came up about handcuffs. And someone who doesn't understand about fantasy, maybe explain what handcuffs are, but how important it is and how many times people just don't handcuff when they, and they lose leagues because they don't use handcuffs. Yeah, so let me explain. So handcuffing is when you draft the backup to the player that you already drafted. So J.K. Dobbins, before he got injured, was a starting running back from the Baltimore Ravens. And Gus Edwards was his backup. But he, Gus Edwards, in his own right, is a really good player. So when you draft Dobbins and you don't get Edwards, when Dobbins is injured like he was this weekend, now you've got nothing. So what you want to do by handcuffing, it's protecting your investment. And I think a lot of people forget that. I mean, look, when, when you buy a car, don't you get a warranty? Why? Because you're protect, protecting your investment. And I think handcuffing is the same thing like that warranty. And if you do that, especially with the Zeke Elliott's, right, you want it to Tony Pollard. Uh, Dalvin Cook, you get Alexander Madison. Christian McCaffrey, you get Chuba Hubbard. You know, you don't do it with some guys. You know, I don't know if I would do it with Jonathan Taylor and Marlon Mack. I don't think Marlon Mack's that good. But with the good backups, that's a smart play. And then down here, we're down here in South Florida. And there's just an interest in a lot of teams. And I did like how you said someone called your show and said, well, I'm a Giants fan. You're like, well, you know, you're a Giants fan. You want to draft Barkley because you want to follow him. But the point is, for the, for the Finns, their running back situation, Malcolm Brown, uh, Miles Gaskin, Salvin Ahmed. It seems like is there is it are they draftable? Is there something to is there something to draft it with the Finns? 
Well, yeah, I mean, Miles Gaskin is great. Uh, and I think he, he outperformed what we even expected last year. I think there'll be some regression this year, but he's still a very good player. I'm a big fan of Mike Gaisicki. I think Tua will find him. I love Jalen Waddell. I think this is a guy, if you give him a little space, he could take it to the house. I'm not a big fan of Devontae Parker. And Will Fuller is a really terrific player when he's on the field, which is like four games a year. So, I mean, I think <laughs> Dolphin fans will enjoy the four games that he's out there. But Waddle and Gasicki. I mean, look, they're good. They're good young players. And if they can develop with Tua, I think it makes a lot of sense. By the way, I don't believe any of the reports about Deshaun Watson going to Miami. That no. feels like an agent talking about that and not the, not Miami. I agree with that, that totally. And then we still, we're in South Florida, but we have a lot, have a lot of friends who are Jaguar fans down here. So Trevor Lawrence clearly can win a league. But what about the wide receiver? We talked about Chenault already and the running back situation with Robinson and Hyde. Yeah, so, I mean, Travis Etienne's, uh, you know, being out opens up a big door for James Robinson, who was terrific last year. I was one of the only experts in the industry who called James Robinson because I watched him play in college, and I know how good he is. DJ Chark is a sensational receiver. He's played with horrible quarterbacks. I think he's going to thrive. I like Chenault, like I said. I'm on the west coast of Florida, Iris, so I'll tell you this. I love everything about the Bucks this year. I love Tom Brady. I love Chris Godwin. I love Antonio Brown. And watch for Giovanni Bernard. He will have a huge role in that offense. He will be the James White who gets five or six receptions per game. And Brady needed a player like that because they didn't trust Rojo or Leonard Fournette out of the backfield. <laughs> That's good. And what about some busts? Who are players when you're seeing, we use this term called average draft position. Who, what players you see being drafted, you're like, you know, that's a mistake. You should not be drafting someone that high. Yeah, let's start with uh, Amari Cooper. So Amari <laughs> Cooper was a really good player, and he is a good player, but he's not the best re- receiver on his team, C.D. Lamb is. Now, here's the thing about Cooper. He's going to be covered by the other team's best cornerback, Darius Slay, great cover guy. James Bradbury, great cover guy for the Giants. That's four games a year that Cooper's going to be seeing very tough coverage. So why are we taking him in round three? I don't think that's a really great life decision there. How about DeAndre <laughs> Swift? I like DeAndre Swift, but can he stay healthy? They brought in Jamal Williams from Green Bay. This guy's really good. They drafted Jamar Jefferson, who's a really good rookie in his own right. Now all of a sudden you feel good about taking DeAndre Swift in round three? I know I don't. And then, of course, the question that everyone asks is, what sleepers? Who am I going to pick in in the draft? Or even maybe someone pick, we mentioned sleepers as someone you pick in the 10th or 11th round, but maybe there's a third or fourth round where you're saying, well, this person should be really a third and fourth, and they're really going the sixth and seventh. Yeah, so, uh, look, I like like Bobby Trees, uh, Robert Woods from uh, the Rams. I like Matt Stafford. I think the Rams are onto something. I think getting Stafford is going to help them really compete for a Super Bowl. Uh, so I think he's fantastic. I love Darnell Mooney for, for the Chicago Bears. I mean, he never really had a chance last year with Mitch Trubisky, who was awful. So I think with Justin Fields there, Allen Robinson sees some double coverage, leaves Mooney open. I'm a really big fan there. Uh, I love Javante Williams for the Denver Broncos. There's nothing I don't like about him. I think he's going to win a lot of people a fantasy championship because in a home league, you could probably get him in round five or six. And high-stakes players like myself, we're taking him in round three or four. And talk about, um, in terms of DrRoto.com, and, and a lot of people say, I've drafted, I, I had a great draft, I had a poor draft, but so much of it, even at the high stakes level that you compete with, it's during the year, the making the moves. You, you really don't end with all of your players that you drafted at the end of the year. You probably, I don't know how many you have, half of them left. You know, it's so funny you said this. So 
I was selling a cheat sheet on my website. And I decided to take that cheat sheet away. And I still have the cheat sheet, by the way, but I put it in my insider package because I don't want to just give you the cheat sheet and say, okay, goodbye, good luck this year. I want to help you win during the season. How do you win during the season? You make the great waiver wire pickups. You make the right trades. You start the guys who should be started and you bench the guys who should be benched. It's your team roster management during the season that wins championships. It's not won or lost in the draft. And I say this straight up with you. Out of the 20 guys that I will draft in tonight's draft, because I'll be drafting at 10 p.m. tonight, I'll probably keep about seven guys on my team. The other 13 go in and out. That is about team management. And if people understand that, that's why you subscribe to sites like mine, because we help you win and not just compete. Mike, do you have any questions? No, um, that pretty much summed it all up. I, I do appreciate everything you said. And, and yeah, I, like, you know, James Robinson was like undrafted in some leagues last year. He could have won your league. And it, it's guys like that. And so that's why, you know, I agree with you, Dr. Roto. You can learn more at drroto.com about you've got to be on top of this. And there's an old saying you can't win a draft, uh, you can't win your league in the draft, but you can lose it. Correct. Absolutely. By taking the wrong player. So let me give you this year's James Robinson, okay? My guy is Kenneth Gainwell from the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, here's a little tidbit that a lot of people don't know. Everybody's heard of Antonio Gibson. Do you know why he played wide receiver in college? Because Kenneth Gainwell was the starting running back. (laughs) That's how good he is. The Eagles are not very good, which means they're going to be playing from behind, which means you're going to see a lot of Gainwell on the field because when you're playing from behind, you need that pass-catching running back. I think Gainwell surprises a ton of people this year and has a I don't want to say a James Robinson-like year, but certainly somebody you'd want to roster on your fantasy team. We want to thank you so much. He is Dr. Roto. Listen to him on SiriusXM. Visit drroto.com if you care about winning your fantasy league. Thanks so much, Dr. Roto. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me. So it's funny that we you know, were talking to him about the Deshaun Watson thing, and he mentioned that that sounds like agent talk. Literally 10 minutes ago, Drew Rosenhaus came out and said, we're absolutely talking to the Dolphins right now about a trade for Deshaun Watson. I, again, I think that's what he said. I think it's the agent talking. This is the <laughs> agent talking, not... I mean, so many of you doing real estate deals. How many times do brokers like talk about oh, saying, oh, they're interested in it, but they're really not. I mean, it's the point. I, I think the Dolphins should be happy with Tua. Everyone says he's looking great in terms of the, the next step. I'd rather have Tua... First of all, you're not paying Tua $30 million a year, yeah. so this is a chance... I, don't, I just wouldn't see – I would be shocked. I think this is something I think he wants to go to Miami. He's trying to talk his way into Miami. But why Miami should do this trades and give up ones and whatever when they have Tua, who three, four years from now could be better than Deshaun Watson. It's, it's funny how that, that did work out. And I mean, maybe it is agent speak. Brian Flores, though, when asked about this, didn't deny it. He didn't say yes, but it was kind of beat around the bush. Like, you know, we, we keep that stuff in-house and we're going to do whatever it takes to win. That makes me like a little eh, – I don't know. I'm with you. I want Tua to stay – and uh, thrive here with our Miami Dolphins. It's I Run Sports, 738. I'm Mike Balsamo. This is the True Oldies Channel. College football just a week away um, from some huge games. You know, usually we have to wait a little while to get into the meat of the season, but this we're gonna coming right out of the gate. Well, I think what, what happened is the Big Ten decided to play some of their big games earlier. I mean, Thursday, Ohio State's at Minnesota. Now, Ohio State's a 14-point favorite on Minnesota. I like, you know, P.J. Fleck last year was a mess for Minnesota. They really did handle COVID right but I love getting at home Minnesota 14 points when Ohio State's sort of like starting a freshman quarterback in C.J. Stroud. I love Minnesota in that game. And the other Big Ten game, Penn State at Wisconsin. Wisconsin's a four-and-a-half-point favorite. 
as much as I'm, look, I'm wearing a Penn State shirt right now. <laughs> I am not sold on this Penn State team. I think they're a mess. I don't, I'm not sold on Clifford at the quarterback. I would probably give the points and, and bet Wisconsin in that game. Uh, and then <laughs> my, my friend from Indiana, Indiana, number 17, Indiana, at number 16, Iowa, and I was favored by three and a half. I like Indiana in this game. I, I think Indiana has a more explosive offense. But to have these three Big Ten games with, with some of the powers in it, is that that's, I think, adds a lot to it. Um, what other games I think would be great? Uh, Friday, North Carolina is a five-and-a-half-point favorite going to two Virginia Tech. I mean, that's like a game you expect in November. Like <laughs> North Carolina, Virginia Tech. But you get to see Sam Howe, who is a Heisman Trophy winner, against the, uh, a very good Virginia Tech defense. But I really like UNC. Uh, even, at, even at Virginia Tech at, at Blacksburg, I like UNC minus five-and-a-half. Um, what's another big game I'd like to see? Well, Fresno State played well last week. Um, and now they're playing at Oregon. Oregon's giving two and a half points. I like Fresno State in that game. I think well, I, I, I think it definitely, look, Oregon's going to win the game, but I think covering 20 and a half is a lot. Uh, one of the big games, 430 on Saturday, Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns, number, they're the they're number 23 team. They're playing Texas, who's 21, and Texas only fair by eight points. Crazy. Only eight. And I, that's a tough one because I think Texas might just barely win that game, but, but that's, I think the, that's where I thought the line would be another 20, and it's not. Um, and then at night, 7.30 Saturday night, Georgia at Clemson. I mean, this is national cha- – this could be the national championship game. Number five versus number three. Clemson's favorite by three points. Uh, I like Clemson in this game. I really think – I think I think DJ, uh, the quarterback, is going to be – had that experience last year of the two games. Mm-hmm. Clemson's defense is really good this year. Uh, Georgia – I just am not sold on them. I really, I, I think this is going to be a great game, but I think Clemson's going to win that game. And then uh, LSU at UCLA. UCLA is getting three and a half. LSU's favorite. Let's, we're going to find out whether LSU of two years ago, which was one of the best football teams I've ever seen last year, complete disaster. Let's see if LSU writes the ship. UCLA had a good first week win against Hawaii. So, but I, you know, in this game, I sort of feel, I like, I like UCLA at home. I think LSU is going to have trouble going there, and I would take UCLA plus the points. And then Sunday, the game that I will probably go to, Notre Dame at Florida State. And what a big game for Florida State. And what a way this is means we had Ron Dugans in through two weeks ago to talk about this really is something to say, look, we're back. Mike Norvell, like this is the way the second-year coach, he's coming in. This is for them to say we're back. We're here. Uh, what a statement win to go on Sunday. There's going to be nothing else against this game. It's going to be by everyone's good in the country is going to watch it, get great ratings. Florida State, if they lose like 35 nothing, disaster. If they win a game like this, think for recruiting and everything. Huge. It means everything for them. Yeah, they're, they're kind of like looking past the Willie Taggart era. Um, I don't know if you knew this, but Nikosi Perry, who was on Miami, is now FAU and Willie Taggart's quarterback transferred to FAU. So that's interesting. We'll get to see uh, them face off against Florida, and we wish uh, all of our Florida teams the best. So Thursday night, we're going to see a matchup between Citadel and Coastal Carolina. And I know who's going to be rooting. I know who's uh, really excited about that one. It's our guest. This is Iron Sports, 95.9-106.9. We're talking to Coach Jamie Chadwell of Coastal Carolina, um, the Walker Cam Coach of the Year, AP Coach of the Year, ranked number 12 last year. Uh, Thanks a lot, Coach Chadwell, for coming on Iron Sports. Yeah, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity. Uh, it's uh, it's a pleasure to be on with you. So I was watching your Twitter feed, and, and you like this quote, skills are cheap, but passion is priceless. So what do you mean by that? Well, I just think that there's a lot of people that are talented, but they, they rely on the talent. And then when things get tough, uh, that talent's not enough. You better have passion for what you do. Uh, and and passion for why you do it. And I think if you have those things, that overcomes 
if you add it to talent, that's great. But if you don't have as much talent, but you have passion for what you do, you can still do some special things. And I think we're a great example of that in our program here. So, like, last year, a lot of teams, everybody had to deal with the pandemic, problems, this and that, and a lot of people made excuses, teams that had bad years. You have three games canceled, two you were scheduling. I don't know how many, I mean, you were scheduling in this game, like, within, like, two days' notice. Somehow you end up with 11-1 record. You're 12th in the country. You overcame all the challenges of the pandemic. Yeah, you know what, and I think, uh, and I think it's how you choose to look at things. You, either, you, you know, most people... They have to do things, and and I think our our players and our team they decided, hey, we get to do this, no matter what the situation, no matter what the circumstances, we're going to find a way to 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 get it done, and get to play, and and when you take a mindset like that, that you have a get to mindset, <clears throat> no matter what adversity throws you away, you find a way to uh, not only you know fight through it, overcome it, but really uh, thrive through it, and I think that's what our team did last year, and and it just goes back to your mental approach, and I think. If you get young people to believe in themselves uh, and believe in that mindset, uh, good things can happen. And, and I think that showed last year through all the difficulty that we faced and are going to face again this year with what's going on. <laughs> yeah, and then, I mean, I think a lot of my listeners and myself just were totally – I did love that BYU game when you beat the number 13-ranked BYU the Cougars at Brooks Stadium, uh, the Mormons with Mullets game. It was the six meetings of undefeated teams in December, and it was the highest-rated ESPNU uh, game, I think, ever. Uh, but what a, what a tremendous game that was and losing, you know, for you to, to pull that out on national television. Yeah, that's the one that everybody, um, you know, seems to remember more than anything. And, <laughs> and I, I've gotten more emails uh, and just different things from uh, random fans across the country just about that game. And, and I think what obviously made it special, you know, being both undefeated that late in the year and the way it came together really in about 48 to 72 hours and then it goes out and lives up to its billing. You know, just came down to the last play of the game there on about the one-yard line. And uh, and it was just a special night for us. Game day was here, able to, you know, uh, showcase what we're building here in our program and being a part of the Sun Belt. And then to have to have the season we had up to that point and then them having a top draft pick, just everything uh, came to fruition that night. It was a special night. And, and one of those games you always, for us, at least, you know, you, you always look back and remember – you know, where you were that night and, and how hopefully how that game really shifted the trajectory of a, of a whole university and a football program. Yeah, I mean, one thing we talk about is that uh, the BYU was averaging one of the top defensive teams in the country, 90 yards rushing a game they were holding teams for. You ran for 281 yards. You had drives of like nine minutes and eight minutes, uh, just tremendous performance. Your offensive line and defensive line were able to dominate BYU, and that was, I think, a shock to everybody. Yeah, you know, and I, and I think that's what, our guys were told, hey, you're not big enough. They're physically, you know, you're playing men. You know, they're 29 years old, you know, all those different things. <laughs> and, and, uh, uh, and one, our guys took it to heart. But two, when you when you had to get a game that soon, you really just have to do what you do and hope it's good enough. And I think for us, we just said, hey, this is what we're going to have to do to win the game. We're going to have to keep them off the field, but we're going to go at them. And, uh, and we did. And to be able to rush and control the clock and do the things that most people, most commentators said, that's no way you can do this. They're just not going to allow you to do it. And to be able to do that uh, was, uh, you know, I think our, our players took pride in that to say, hey, we can do this. And they wanted to go prove a point. Because most of our guys, uh, with the exception of a select few, probably would never be recruited by BYU. Uh, and, uh, and for them to go out and be able to you know, dominate up front says a lot about them and, and their desire and their passion to, to play for each other. 
Yeah, I was reminded of the Tennessee Titan game when they were st- the Rams stopped on the one yard line to Mateo. I don't know how his last name pronounced him, but he was able to hold, uh, you know, stop the BYU back on the one yard line to end the game. What, what a tremendous ending! It was like out of the movies almost. Yeah, that and and you know, I grew up in Tennessee, so I remember that Titans uh, Super Bowl <laughs> well. And you know, I thought we were in a good position. You know, there's there's so many seconds left, and he's dry. You know, he's got to drive basically ninety something yards. He makes one throw, gets him down there, makes another one, and I start getting a little nervous. Uh, but Mateo Sadipo is his last name. He he followed through on his coaching, he, and it was right there to make a play. You know, and and what was unique about it, everybody starts running out there, but the referees, you know, they they said that he was down, but then there there had to be a review. So it was almost like a subdued celebration until you could figure out for sure if he was stopped or not. So, but uh, one of those that we'll always remember. Uh, that the you know anybody that comes back here they'll know what happened on that one yard line uh, for the rest of the history of college football here at Coastal Carolina. We're talking to Coach Jamie Chadwell of Coastal Carolina. Um, one of your alums actually lives in Palm Beach County, near actually near, pretty near the station. is pretty famous, and we love golf here. Is uh, Dustin Johnson, so one of the most famous alums from Coastal Carolina. Yeah, I wish he would. Uh, wish he'd come up here and give me some golf lessons because I'm terrible. <laughs> so. But yeah, we're we're very proud of him and and what he's done and and that whole area down there for us is great football area. We're, we're recruiting, we recruit the state of Florida pretty heavily. We signed uh, six players out of there last year. Got some commitments out of there this year already. That's an important area for us. It's good football, great high school coaches and uh, and uh, next time maybe I can come in studio with you guys. I'd love to come visit. Oh, that'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. One of your players, Grayson McCall. Uh, the quarterback from last year's uh, Johnny Unitas Award finalist. I guess how they put the list for this year coming up. It's great to have you know the year you know have a successful year and then have the quarterback come back uh, you know for another at least uh, two more years playing for you. Yeah, that that makes you sleep a little better. I can guarantee <laughs> you that. Uh, he's uh, he's uh, really obviously really good. All those accolades he's he's gotten, he's earned. Uh, what makes him what makes him special though is he's a really good leader. The players around him. Uh, they believe in him. He works hard. They know that they know he puts a lot into it to be a good player. And I think anytime you have your, you know, your best player who, who, who will lead, who will put time in to be better, who, who encourages his teammates, that makes you that much better. And that's, that's what makes him special at that quarterback position. So a lot has been talked about as the name, image, and likeness and different deals. And people think, well, if you don't go to Alabama or whatever, you're not going to get those deals per se. But your team, half your games are played on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday on prime, prime time. You have a teal field, which is crazy. No one else has that. You really have this, uh, and you have the mullet whole thing going. It, it's almost, you have a really good mix in terms of these players that want to use, take advantage of name, image, and likeness, actually be able to brand themselves. I, I do think we we are unique among you know our, our our level the G5 that we do have some advantage of that and as we continue to win we're on TV you mentioned the Till Field where the Shauna clears you know most people try nobody has that type of <laughs> nickname you know so we got a lot going for us and uh, you know now uh, and so I do think there are opportunities for for our players and, and future players here as as we continue to build this program that uh, there's some advantages for that because of the uniqueness and people. Uh, you know, want to know more about what's going on, and you do have some of those. So we've had a few players sign some NIL deals. I don't exactly know what they're doing. I'm not seeing any Lamborghinis in the parking lot yet, so I don't know. <laughs> uh, maybe we got to win a few more games for that. But uh, but I do think you know that's obviously here to stay with NIL, and 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 hopefully we'll we'll continue to do well, and and everybody on our team can benefit from that.
And coach, I'm I'm intrigued by your trajectory of when you were coach. You went to East Tennessee State as a player, and then you were there, and then you went to offense coordinator, uh, and then and then you were the head coach at Division Two North Greenville at 32 years old. You chose to become that head coach and work your way up that way, not be like the third, fourth, fifth assistant at some big time program, but you were a head coach early and and worked through those programs, and now you're coaching one of the top 20 teams in the country. Yeah, it's been a it's definitely been a unique uh, ride, not a traditional one, uh, you know and I was I was an assistant coach there and, and at, at Charleston Southern when I was like you said when I was in my my thirties and and I don't know if I ever said hey I wanted to be a head coach my father was a, a head high school coach and so I loved football and I knew I wanted to coach but I don't think I got into it saying hey I want to be a head college coach but uh, you know where where I was at in in, at, uh, in my career when I made that move I just decided you know what I'm gonna bet on myself I'm just gonna go you see if I can I feel like I want to run a program and this is how I want to do it and. And you do it at that level, you can make tons of mistakes, and nobody really knows, and nobody really cares, you know. And so there was a lot of growing for me. But it's really, I think, what it does is is you you figure out what it takes to win at where you're at, right? And, and with less resources, less scholarships. When I was there, we had 17 scholarships at Division Two, and playing against people that had 36. And so you had to be creative and unique, and to try to find ways to win. And I think that's helped me uh, as I've been at some different places is to, to appreciate what you have and then also too is just make the most of what you have and and just always believe you have enough doesn't mean you have to stop fighting to get better but if you just believe you have enough and you and you get your players to believe in that good things can happen and so uh, i'm thankful for the journey i've been on uh we now we've lived in a lot of different places i don't know if, I don't know if my wife is like moving as much as she has but uh it's been a good journey and and uh thankful that it's brought me here well, your journey starts in like three days. You play Citadel on Thursday, and then I, then Kansas on September 10th, Friday to September 10th at home. So you have a Power 5 school going to Brooks Stadium. That's going to be so exciting for, for everything. Yeah, it is. We, we kick it off three days, Thursday night, uh, uh, versus an in-state opponent, which is awesome for us. So we're, we're hoping we're, we're trying to, uh, you know, now that we can have full capacity back, so we're excited about that. And then our first Power 5 opponent with Kansas, you know, I mean, that's a – that's a big deal for us and our young program. That's our what is it? Our fifth year of FBS, and, and we've got a you know got a school coming here, and and so that's big. And, and the thing that we're trying to accomplish here is we we want to be a consistently good program. We don't want to be a one hit wonder. Uh, you know, we don't want to be uh, somebody that's a flash in the pan. And and to be able to bring opponents like that here, that gets get this more notoriety, gives us opportunity to be on TV again, and hopefully continue to build this brand. But. Uh, we've got seven home games this year, and hopefully we can take advantage of all of those. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, Coach Chadwell, I know you're super busy, and I really appreciate you coming on Iron Sports. And certainly the offer is anytime you come here down to South Florida, feel free. We'd love for you to come in uh, the studio and talk about the, your season and what's going the next year. So that'd be great. That sounds good. I appreciate y'all having me on, and y'all have a great day. Thank you. It, great stuff there from uh, Coach Chadwell. It's really cool to hear that Florida is one of their main recruiting areas. This is where they're coming to try to get all of the amazing athletes that we put out here. And like you said earlier, I'm not going to be surprised if he's a, a coach at a top, top school here in a couple of years. Let's talk baseball. And <laughs> the Mets, they, these guys just cannot get out of their own way. If you don't know, Javier Baez made some comments about the fans you know, giving them flack for being terrible and, and plummeting out of the playoff race. Steve Cohen, the new billionaire owner of the Mets, basically condemned it. Sandy Alderson, the general manager, condemned it. This whole thing is weird to me, Ira. Javier Baez wanted to be traded to the Mets. They're a toxic fan base, and they don't like losing, and this is exactly what he, he should have expected. 
Yeah, I mean, this is amazing. I mean, the fact that also he's looking for a contract. Yeah, and we talked about there's so few teams in baseball now that actually have money to spend or want to spend. or want to spend <laughs> the money. There, it's now because that's when we're going to have a big strike in baseball because there's a point where there's a, to some teams that just have decided we're not going to spend money on contracts. So Javier Baez to criticize the Mets fans. Uh, and to give them and thought it was a joke to give the thumbs down. And then Francisco Lindor, who just signed a $300 million contract for him to do the same thing to the fans, it, it shows ridiculous. I mean, they were just booing him because they he he's sitting terrible. And, and Lindor's it doesn't have power and doesn't have any average hit for average either. So he's having the, his worst career after he gets a 10 year contract. Yeah. So <laughs> that, that, that's the point. And, and then I guess, I mean, that's where. The Mets seem to have this problem. They just can't get every out of the, they every year, whether it's the Wilpon, the manager, now they have the richest owner. And I, I that I question the Lindor contract. I was I was never sold on him being this giving a 10 year contract to him. I think they should have played a whole year. Wait till next year. Wait till the end of the year to give the contract. They gave the contract. And the moment they gave the contract, he's been terrible. No, yeah, it's this is classic Mets, though. And every year, you know, being from New York, I'm, I'm, I'm around a lot of Mets fans. Every year in July, they're winning the World Series, according to themselves. And then in August, it all falls apart. It's, it's like clockwork. Remember, $341 million guaranteed to Lindor. And he puts his thumbs down to boo the fans for $350-41 million a year. You're going to have him for a decade hanging out in, uh, it's untra- in Queens. It's an untradeable contract. Yeah. So, yeah, just absolutely ridiculous. And, the, the, you know, the Mets just get worse. They are seven and a half games behind the Braves. So how, how are we looking here with really not much baseball to go? Well, I think it's interesting. The East, to me, the, the Braves lost two to the Yankees, but then took two out of three of the Giants. They had a really tough week. And then they're playing the Dodgers three games this week. But the Phillies are four back. But look at this. The Phillies have to play the Nats and the Marlins. They're leading to already. And it's like one of those, some of these teams now in baseball aren't even trying. So whereas yeah. the Braves have uh, these tough games against the Dodgers, they could lose all three of them. The Phillies could actually win the next, like, seven games in a row. So that's the point is that even though the Phillies are four back, I'm not counting them out for winning the division. Yeah, and in the Central, uh, the Brewers just continue to keep a, a Tory pace. Again, I'm really high on these guys. Nobody else in the media seems to be. And the West is easily the premier division. But, man, San Diego's really falling off a cliff. Yeah, I mean, I stayed up on Wednesday night. It was in 16 Epic innings. Game. And it was just back and forth. First of all, Will Smith hit a home run. They were losing. Dodgers were losing one nothing. He hit a home run. And then it went into the 15th inning, and the Dodgers scored two runs. But Tatis, who had been like had like five strikeouts of the game, he hits a two-run home run. They then go into the 16th inning, and A.J. Pollock hits a two-run home run. Now, A.J. Pollock, Will Smith have been clutch hitters for the Dodgers all year. This year, Bellinger is a complete disaster. I, Cody Bellinger, who was an MVP two years ago with 45 home runs, 140 RBIs, hitting 310, is just a shell of himself. Uh, but then the Dodgers come and they lose two out of three to Colorado, which makes no sense, whatever, because Colorado is a minor league baseball team. <laughs> so this now that this week, Dodgers play Braves they start at 10 o'clock tonight. Dodgers play Braves three. And then they're at San Francisco for three. So this is going to be crucial. San Francisco plays the Brewers and then plays the Dodgers. So between the Dodgers and San Francisco, they're separated by two and a half games. They but play each other three and they have two, you know, a series, a tough series to start the week. And what's going on with the uh, American League? Tampa just doesn't lose. I mean, they're just amazing. They're, the Yankees, they win 13 games in a row. Then they lose two to the A's, and now they're, now they're back eight. I mean, yeah. you got back – I'm sorry, back six over the and, – and the Red Sox are back eight. It's just – it's amazing how well Tampa plays. And the Yankees it, – it, we're looking more and more like the Yankees and the uh, Red Sox could play this one-game playoff. Chris Sale for the wild card. Chris Sale's coming back for the Red Sox. Cole could be a Cole Sale one game. Just amazing game. 
But the Yanks play three at the Angels. People are excited because in L.A. because Otani's going to be pitching against the Yankees. Then they play three against the Baltimore. And then Yanks, as I said before last week, Yanks and Tampa play three games at the end of the year. But if the Yankees, you know, they can't, they have three games at the end of the year. If they don't cut it within three, they have no chance to get there. So we'd like to see them get a little closer if you're a Yankee fan. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, Tampa's 9-1 and one in their last 10. They won seven in a row, right, as the Yankees are reeling off their longest win streak uh, ever. So that's funny how that goes. Uh, Central, we can wrap this one up. It's going to be the uh, White Sox. And in the West, there's a little bit of a competition. Oakland's still a real team. I just don't know if they're going to be able to catch Houston. Right. I mean, the Astros are five and a half over the A's. And right now the A's sort of maybe their chance would be against the Red Sox if they can sneak in and they get hot and the Red Sox will tail off and get that last wild card spot. Only a couple of minutes left to go. And uh, let's talk a little tennis. Well, I just saw a great match while we're doing our show. Uh, yeah, I was uh, watching tennis t- as we go. Stefanis Titsipas beat Murray. I, I, I predicted Murray was going to win this. He was a 9-1 to underdog. He was a defending, not defending, he had won this championship before um, and one of the only three people in there. And I knew that Murray was going to give Titsipas a match, and he just lost in five sets. But, I mean, this tournament is really Djokovic. I'll be there tomorrow. I'll watch him tomorrow night. Um, he's, um, there's no Nadal, there's no Federer, and Djokovic is uh, you know, going for his 21st major. He's going for his Grand Slam. Hasn't been done since 1969 in terms of the men with Rod Laver. So this is, this is the major chance for Djokovic to really seal to be the number one player of all time. Or not in the world. He's number one in the world. But it's a hard to say that a player can say, you know, we, t- we throw the word goat around. Yeah. Like, this is definitely goat level. Because when you win more majors and the other two people in your competition, you've been beating and you've better records against. So his, the competi- he's 6-2 against Titsipas. And remember, he, was, he beat Titsipas in the French Open when he was down two sets to none. He's 6-3 against Zarev. He lost in the Olympics to Zarev, but he beat him in Australia. And then in 2019, he beat him in the French. And in, uh, in the Australian Open against Medvedev, Djokovic beat uh, Medvedev easily in the finals. He's at 5-3 overall. So, I, you know, he has, Djokovic has, should be able to win this. And we'll like to see. He plays would, would probably play Hercods maybe in the quarterfinals. Uh, and and would play Zarev in the semifinals the way the draw worked out. And originally, people said, oh, my gosh, you got a terrible draw. But he had to play these young guns anyway. I really thought the draw was pretty good for Djokovic. I don't think he has a tough match until the quarterfinals. What about the women's side? Well, it's it's weird without without uh, um, uh, Serena, without Venus, Osaka is the big draw. And you could have a thing where Goff plays Stevens. Sloan Stevens beat uh, Keys, Mazin Keys today. Stevens and, and Goff. Goff just won in three sets. That could be a big match. And then you could have an Osaka Stevens round of 16. I, I, I would expect is that I expect Osaka to get knocked out in the first like two or three rounds. And Ash Barty is the number one player in the world who nobody talks about. Mm-hmm. And she is the favorite to win. And she could win this again um, from Australia. But, uh, but so it, I, I think the besides, we'll see what we're going to see from the women's side golf, Osaka, and those, how, how far they advance. And today, Isner lost. The American, uh, John Isner lost to another American, Brandon Nashikima. And that was a fairly, it was a big upset because you would expect Isner, he maybe has maybe one or two more years left playing and uh, to lose in straight sets to Nash Akima was a big loss for him. So Ira, you can say a lot of things about Jake Paul, but one thing that's a fact is he's an excellent marketer and he's cashing checks right now. Well, I actually bought the fight. It was $60. I, I can't believe I'm so into Jake Paul watching. <laughs> he beat a, play, a person who I can't pronounce the name. Then he beat Nate Robinson, a basketball player. Then he beat, beat Ben Askren. And so people thought that he played 
uh, Tyrone, Tyrone Woodley, that, who is a champion middleweight UFC fighter. Now, he's 39 years old, and he's lost his last four fights. But everyone, including me, thought Woodley was just going to knock Paul out. Yeah. And then I'm watching this fight, and it was sold out in Cleveland. Paul's from Cleveland, and they did great. Everyone I know who's under the age of 18, I think, watched this. But Woodley did nothing the first three rounds. In the fourth round, he did rock Paul a little bit. And then uh, in the sixth round, it thought he, maybe Woodley won the last round. But I had it 5-3 to Paul. And I was really hoping I wasn't scoring it for Paul. And one judge had it 5-3 like I did. The other had it 5-3 the other way for Woodley, which I was shocked about. Mm-hmm. And then one judge had it 6-2 for, uh, for Paul. So Paul won a split decision. And the, 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 one of the things about the fight was the loser had to get a tattoo. <laughs> so, <laughs> and now the question is, what does Paul do? Well, who, who does he fight next? Um, he has to fight someone he can beat with a name. It, it's difficult to challenge it. Maybe he might fight Woodley again uh, in that fight. Woodley wants to fight, and Paul said, I'll fight you, but now you really have to get the tattoo. I'm not <laughs> joking. The tattoo artist is there. I mean, only this is you know what we get into, but... It, it is interesting, and I was just—I was shocked that Woodley. I don't think I was impressed with Jake Paul. I was just really shocked that Tyrone Woodley did not take it to Paul because Paul, you can see, could not defend himself well. And Woodley, who is a champion UFC fighter, everyone was counting on him for knock. I just didn't really bring it. I was—I was shocked. Uh, let's wrap it up with some auto racing. Um, well, first of all, in Formula One, there was a two-lap race. That was probably <laughs> easy. And they were going because it would rain the entire time. So whatever they qualified for, they had to, they had to end with. And Verstappen uh, qualified first, so he won. George Russell was second. It was his first time he's ever been the podium. And Hamilton uh, finished third. He's still overall leading. And the exciting thing with NASCAR was it was at Daytona. And this was the final, quote, regular season race. They have 10 more races after that. Ryan Blaney won. People hate this. What's happening in Daytona is really bad. It happened in the Daytona 500, but even worse at this is that you had accident after accident at the end of the race. They're driving 200 miles an hour. They're crashing into each other. And you can't even finish the races because there's just so many accidents. And Kyle Larson became the regular season champion. And then the last place was decided Tyler Reddick won the 16th place. And now there's 16 teams, four to seven teams. Chevy is five, Toyota's four. And it's the main teams. Hendrick uh, motor with Kyle Larson, Bowman, Elliott, Byron. They have four teams. Penske, the four drivers. Penske, three. And Toyota has four. So that was, uh, it was really one of those things where at the end, it, uh, the drivers like Daniel Suarez, he, he had to win the race to get in the playoffs. So he was just wrecking everybody. Chris Buescher, who finished second, literally was driving into drivers. It, it, <laughs> it was Talladega Nights. But uh, the point is, it, it just, they have to do something. This was, it was, it was a terrible race to watch because the last, like, I don't know, the last 10 laps took an hour because there were so many accidents. We are out of time. Thank you so much to Dr. Roto, also Coach Jamie Chadwell. He's Ira. I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night, Iron Sports.